Today, we travel beyond the wind door. So, Toby, we're now past the spoiler break. Where I know, would you like to be? I mean, weren't you surprised when Spider-Ham saved the day? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> like, I don't, know, I don't know if Spider-Ham would work very well in terms of adding them to a, an Insomniac game. Obviously, we had a Spider-Ham Spider-Bot that we had to collect at one point, which was hilarious. I love the way that the little snout wiggles as you move, as you rotate the model. Oh, I don't <laughs> even think I noticed that. I, I, I need to go back and take a look at some of these. Oh, yeah, like, they're all worth, like, you know, you click on them and you can kind of, like, it's like a model viewer. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of detail into them. I think that despite the fact that it's, you know, easy to just take the model that you have for a generic spider bot and just apply different textures, but they include a lot of detail to them, which is great. Hmm. All right. So where would you like to begin? Would you want to talk about some of those <sighs> intersections of story and gameplay? Do you want to yeah, talk about the story I, I think as a whole? that uh, I think that the, because we've been talking about that recently, that's a good thing and it gives you a chance to re-energize with your drink. Okay. So what I was alluding to earlier in terms of just Insomniac backing themselves into a corner is the incorporation of the Venom slash symbiote abilities. Mm. Because I think when we saw that first gameplay trailer, the idea of, oh, all of the like intense sort of evil black suit Spider-Man abilities, we'll get to play that and that will be, feel like such a sort of power fantasy to be able to just take these like hordes of enemies and just clear them away with these brutal uh, like things that you can do and yeah it's really good and honestly it feeds into this really unique way of telling the black suit arc because mm -hmm. a re necessary reading for anyone listening to this is the osp detailed diatribe on the black suit arc mm. and the various adaptations that have existed for it blue on that does a wonderful job of expressing why he finds that art to be one of the best things you can do with peter as a character the thesis and the conclusion of it or at least one of them is that the black suit arc is a good way of having peter get this thing where he thinks that he can be a better Spider-Man by being given more power, but he ends up being worse because he is getting more power but less responsibility. And then the by working through it, he gets to be a better Spider-Man because he has examined his internal demons and overcome them. So in an interactive setting, there's a really unique perspective on that because suddenly the player is along for the ride they are complicit in the part of the story which is that temptation because it's not just a character you are watching 
whose the strain of being Spider-Man is eased off a little bit because the suit just feels good. It makes the fighting easier. You are there and you are feeling all the new abilities and opportunities that getting the symbiote suit is actually doing for you. And because of the PS5's controller, it does a very good job of the haptic feedback of the vibrations and things like that. So every punch feels more impactful and everything. It's fun, but in a way that makes it a sort of illicit thrill because you see Peter doing these animations especially when he does this thing where he, you know, you click the two thumbsticks in and he goes into like a sort of symbiote berserker rage, essentially. Maximum spider, but like dark and gothy. (laughs) Exactly. And he is just wrecking shop with it. And there's certain takedowns where it's just, there's some people who are probably dead because he did that. It's thrilling and intoxicating, but because you are playing as other characters in this, including Miles and also Mary Jane. And we'll talk about her segments and why I think they're fucking brilliant and how her whole presence in this game is makes her one of my favorite characters in the game. Mm-hmm. But um, you are getting both sides of it. You are getting to experience Peter's growing addiction to the opportunities and abilities that the suit affords him because you get to participate in that. And you're also seeing from the outside perspective of people who care about him, because you also care about him. And that's why the format works so well that it is multiple characters, because you as the player occupy this unique perspective in being both first and third person. You are playing the role of Peter, and you're also someone who's invested in and cares about him. Mm -hmm. So this it's a brilliant way of telling the black suit arc and the interactive element only serves to help and enhance the experience of it yes because one of the ongoing threads of this game is just how exhausting it is to be spider-man whether you're peter or miles and some of the stuff with where you're talking about the cooldowns earlier as the fights get more intense and more protracted than the whole I need to refill my focus meter. I need to refill the cooldowns on my gadgets and my spider arms and all that kind of thing like that. The feeling is, you know, you're just waiting to like, okay, that's recharged. Now I can use this power move to like clear some of the people out of my path. But you're like, okay, this is getting more and more difficult. The enemies get tougher and more numerous. So the fights take longer. And therefore, it's once more a little like those endless waves of clearing out bases from the first game. But now it feels like it has more narrative arc. The longer you have to fight, the longer you are sometimes waiting on cooldowns and gadget refills. It exhausts the player, and by proxy, Peter and Miles as well. Then you get the symbiote, and then all the fights become much more easier. So it kind of makes you be complicit in, oh, the game's much more, now that I'm able, especially when I you know, go into maximum spider mode, and all of a sudden there's no cooldowns, and I'm just wrecking shop. So yeah. can I take down all the enemies before the meter on that runs down? I mm. can. Awesome. I am super powerful. 
my favorite ability in it is the sort of symbiote yank where it's mm. like any enemy that's in front of you especially if you unlock this ability in a skill tree like there is actually no limit on mm -hmm. how many enemies he can pick up like if yeah. there are 10 enemies in front of you you will just see 10 tendrils just extend out of peter's arms lift them up and just slam them into the ground and you mm -hmm. feel unstoppable when you're doing stuff like that not to mention that okay so we're playing two different characters miles doesn't have a symbiote but he gets his own arc with his own okay he has somewhat different power set from peter like he still has gadgets and everything like that but he's got his whole electrical subset but he also gets his own power arc because of his connection with martin lee and that's so good yeah we'll get more into the story implications of that later but like when it's presented to us be like oh oh okay is miles gonna have his own issue with like greater power and going down a dark path just a separate dark path from peter kind of but not in the same way at all but mm. the, the fact that we're not left out of the power of peter's symbiote because miles has his own thing that works a little bit differently but gives you a similar this is the thing that makes the fights easier it's essentially the mega venom blast from the miles morales game and therefore has the effect of taking out enemies in a wide range just without the brutality animations from the symbiote that's all melded together very well on top of that so i know that you're eventually going to talk about um, no, please continue. But I know what my point is going to be. I'll okay. be able to make it. So right. You, well, you mentioned like the fact that okay, Peter has spider limbs. That's his first power set from the beginning of the game. Right. And, the sort of robotic, like yeah. sort of Doctor Octopus style, thing. like the things you see in uh, Infinity War. That, yeah, like, exactly. Uh, Tom Holland spider, like Iron Spider suit is able right. to use. But it, but it has less impact there because it's like oh, that's just something that. Tony invented for him. Here, mm. you correctly identify that, like, oh, this is an extrapolation of the work that Peter did with Otto in the previous game. Precisely, yeah. And I agree that that could have had more narrative weight had they actually gotten into that. Yeah, it both in a narrative and design sense, it kind of required a bit more incorporation because mm. in terms of just any suit, even the default like thing, you know, the sort of as Insomniac intends it, Peter's default suit, like it doesn't really show that there's any accommodation for mm. robotic limbs that are gonna come out of his back. They just kind of materialize from nowhere and then once he's done with them, they just disappear mm. with not even a sort of sense of like ports for the limbs to retract to or anything like that which means that they're kind of a bit incongruous and i know we're dealing with superhero stuff and like i mean across the spider-verse has an explanation for it it's hammer space uh but yeah it does have a yeah hammer space lest we forget although you do make a good point it's easier to incorporate the limbs into tom holland spider-man because the suit is already nanotechnology so of course it makes sense that right. that's how that's how they appear and then disappear. They're not actually right. a part of the suit. The suit just makes them when it needs it. Especially so. because the limbs that Otto creates in the first game, there's so much like 
consideration like you see the development of that technology you see the way that it has this weight and presence to yeah, it yeah exactly and then it's just these like i i've pulled the i on a whim will pull these robotic limbs from nowhere and they get to disappear like it they just don't feel like they have substance and mm-hmm. because of the connection to otto as you say you want there to be a bit more like a sequence at the beginning where Peter is just working on this and it's like, I thought I could do this, you know, that whole thing ended so much worse than I ever meant it to. So if I can at least take something that will help people, then at least it won't be for nothing. Just a scene like that, Mm -hmm. which would have meant that I felt more when Peter is able to do these things because in both a narrative and in a design sense, it feels like it's just kind of incongruous. Mm-hmm. The other gameplay aspect that you talked about was the introduction of the anti-venom suit. Right. This is the having your cake and eating it thing mm-hmm. because the whole sort of story beat of Peter gaining the anti-venom suit with the assistance of Miles and Martin Lee kind of going to his Mm-hmm. in a mindscape and having to like kind of completely flush peter's uh, system of like symbiote and i thought that was great is that even though you have the iconic just ripping the symbiote mm-hmm. off you scene because they've made the analogy be that peter has an addiction and miles when he fights peter in that brilliant story moment that's mm. the equivalent of an intervention it's like when Peter is being susceptible to this stuff and the anti-venom moment happens, that's his withdrawal symptoms kicking in and like Martin and Miles are there to just kind of help him ride through it, to just Mm -hmm. sort of get through it. And once he's on the other side, his chakras unlock and he gets something really quite profound. And that's great. However, the mechanics of it step on i think everything that i was talking about about how the mechanics of playing as peter with the black suit feeds into the story of that because for a brief sliver of game once peter gets the symbiote off him he no longer has access to the abilities that he had as the black suit abilities that have its own skill tree and you've been Mm -hmm. investing points towards so you go like okay so how are we going to have Peter like keep up with Miles, for lack of a better word. Do we invent new abilities for him? And the answer is a sort of vaguely half-committal, yeah, kind of. Because once the anti-venom suit kind of comes out and he has these white symbiote tendrils and everything, it's basically the symbiote suit again. And it's like, ah, I have... And he's on a call with MJ and says, like, it feels like I got all of the powers, but with none of the like voices. And it's like, that just kind of steps on the whole point of the, like the symbiote thing was like, the power is intoxicating, but it's an easy out. And then it's like, oh, I've got this, but without any of the drawbacks. Mm. And the gameplay just feeds into that because you gain these like two moves, like an, a, a bomb and mm-hmm. this wave clearing thing with it. But, you also gain all of the things like the yank and the mm-hmm. like, sort of all of that. And even the maximum uh, dark spider thing. And the animations are all the same where it's just like, uh, 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 and it's like, well, wait a minute. Like 
those animations were done to indicate that Peter was giving in to mm. the more vicious tendency. It doesn't make sense for this, even if he's fighting symbiotes, which are these more grueling monsters, so he can cut loose. No, you establish that these are real people in there and that you're trying to save them. So it's mm. like, it gets muddied and that's very frustrating. I hear everything you're saying there. You make some very valid points. The reason why I didn't necessarily notice it or why I had a different opinion of it is that, okay, so we get to the narrative point where Peter's pulled the suit off of himself and now we have Venom and... Craven, with all of his hunters, was difficult enough for him to deal with. Now he's got to fight someone that is more powerful than him, with less power of his own. And even with all of that, as the as Venom starts making more symbiotes, and you have the symbiote side quest, where you have to purge these areas of the city that are making more symbiote enemies, as you start doing them without the anti-Venom suit, Peter has these dialogue moments of like, Okay, we got another one of these. This is getting difficult for me. He he's feeling the lack of power. He's feeling, as you say, the withdrawal of it, because he's trying to take care of. He's trying to take on multiple symbiotes with his old power set, and it's taking a toll on him. He's taking more responsibility, but with less of the power. Right? Yeah, exactly. Which is part of how this whole arc started to begin with, but it also means that you know now he suddenly relying on miles more where as before at one point he was like no no no, no. i got to take care of this myself and i can because i have the power i'm so juiced but as soon as the anti-venom plot point happens and he gets the white costume yes you're right from a mechanic standpoint from a does the mechanics get in the way of the story especially with the animation stuff i can i can understand why but the thing is there is that it also seems clear that this is a limited time power up like as soon as he successfully takes down venom and the meteorite that's all going to go away so it's it's like the last he still has the anti-venom suit after the meteorite does he toby is of course absolutely right and this is definitely a case where the fact that this is a video game gets in the way of the story. To be clear, we decided not to go through a blow-by-blow -blow of the plot of Spider-Man Proving Ground. We assume you've already played the game. You don't need us to tell you. And if you want a basic outline, you can absolutely look that up on Wikipedia. We're primarily going to be getting into the story beats that we feel like there's something to say something about. But with everything going on, there's a lot of story that gets muddled along the way. I was under the impression that the symbiotes and the meteorite fragment were deeply connected, and destroying one would end the other, a little bit like the marker in Dead Space. But as it turns out, the symbiotes can exist outside of the meteorite itself, which is why we'll definitely get carnage at some point, more on that later. In fact, this is the importance of destroying the symbiote nests, because breaking the meteorite just kills the hive mind that allows Venom to control all other symbiotes, as well as making the symbiotes more deadly in and of themselves. Yes, the meteorite was used to make the nests, which make more symbiotes. But the lore of the game suggests that you can kill weak symbiotes before they bond with a host like they did Peter and Harry. So Peter can break the nest, the same Sonic's killing all young symbiotes in its vicinity, 
but until Venom and the meteorite are gone, they could always make more. The conversation started, of course, with the anti-Venom suit. And it does keep existing along with all its powers after the end of the game, allowing you to complete side quests that you might not have during the main story. There is nothing explicit in the text saying that it will dissipate, even though it was made with just the small remnant of symbiote in Peter. That's why I assumed that its existence was short-lived. But I'd be very curious if any future game or DLC would have anything to say about that, because otherwise, its continued existence does kind of step on the thesis of the game's story. Yes, the most important part of Peter's arc is his motivation, which has definitely changed by the end. But there is some cognitive dissonance there that could have been handled better. Also, just a brief aside about when, while we're on this whole, like, what does it mean to kill, like, the sort of symbiote and everything? That whole thing with the flame and how it culminates in, it's Cletus Cassidy and everything. Mm -hmm. We'll go into that. And yeah. he gets his own symbiote and it's like, there's gonna be carnage. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> better, uh, better than when Woody Harrelson did it. He has a lot more presence. Um, is that a separate symbiote to this one? Because, yes. it, yeah, it has to be, right? The way that the flame something was framed, it was that this was a separate symbiote that was harvested back when Connors was developing all this technology. So it is not a part of the same entity that Harry was wearing. So and what, the meteorite had just two separate strains of it? That's convenient. I mean, the, the implication of the meteorite was that this is some deep symbiote lore or whatever that has to do with, like, the king in black null and everything like that. So the idea that the meteorite had two separate symbiotes in there isn't too far a stretch. But, like, th because they want Carnage to be a thing, there has to be some explanation for why Carnage will still exist, but Venom is gone. Sure. And, you know, I will actually get into this, like, more. All I will say is that I think that, for now, I hope that the whole thing with Cletus and Carnage is not something that comes into play in Spider-Man 3. I hope it's just something for the DLC for this game in the same way that there was the Hammerhead stuff in the first one. You did bring it that up, and I think that I agree that if we're going to have Carnage, I don't want him to stick around. I want a DLC specifically with this game. I want him resolved as a part of Yuri's arc, because yeah. clearly that, that's part of how Cletus got brought into this, is that this is specifically an enemy from her days as being a cop, which I really liked the investiture of all of that. It was also yes. a hell of a fake-out, where, like, in the comics that inspired him, Cletus is just a serial killer. Now he's a cult leader. Yeah. Which, which I... makes a lot of sense with his kind of personality, because that's... Definitely an element that was introduced in the comics at some point, that there are imitations that be like, yeah, his idea of chaos and anarchy and do whatever you want and kill whoever you want, that was actually part of the whole Maximum Carnage storyline. It's just that those were all super-powered people that followed uh, Cassidy, not normals like in this story. I do think that this is probably the best version of a character that I mm. think very few of us have a lot of patience for because he's yes. like 
It's like let's have Victor Zaz from Batman, <laughs> like, but oh, in God, Spider-Man. Yes. And it's just like, this is a lot to deal with. I think him being a cult leader works because it's a way of doing this without going too brutal. Though mm. this game gets brutal in places, yes. we'll, get, we'll get into that. It's a way of emphasizing his dangerousness and also kind of updating it a bit because... As we are now aware in the modern age, this is something that exists and it's dangerous. And yeah. especially for people like this version of Cletus Cassidy. Like, we don't even know that that's his name. We just find out after the fact that this is probably one of several names aliases. that he aliases. Yes. Exactly. It's a good reveal. Now that the reveal has happened, I think I just want to see the payoff happen, especially because there's this big boss fight between Yuri and Spider-Man. And like Yuri goes off on some stuff, which is just like, whoa, 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 because she's saying, like, you know, who made you the person who is, like, executing all that's right? It's like, I'm not. I'm just saying don't kill someone. Well, then... she's, she's carrying around a lot of her own pain. I agree. I really like... I like the culmination of the Yuri storyline, even though it's clear that there is still unfinished business between that's, them. That's kind of my issue, is that like it gets so raw and visceral with the penultimate flame and Yuri mission, because you are fighting her as her Wraith persona, mm -hmm. as Peter, and it's intense, it's no holds barred. She is like kind of on blast, and she says something that cuts at Peter, which is, you know, I'd rather lose sleep over killing one person than thinking about all the people who are dead because I didn't take action. Mm, and mm. considering the subconsciousness that we see Peter in later, that's something that, you know, clearly he's been thinking about. The Spider-Man comics are full of characters that are counterpoints to Spidey's ethos of stopping criminals without killing. Sure, that's the M.O. of most beloved heroes. Superman, Batman, etc. But it feels like pound for pound, Spidey has some of the longest-lasting anti-heroes that tangled specifically with the web-slinger first. As mentioned earlier, Venom got his own comic as a lethal protector. The Punisher himself was originally hired to kill Spidey before he went on to get his own comic. Morbius the Living Vampire, Silver Sable, that one time when Comics Craven put on the Spidey suit, the Superior Spider-Man, don't get me started on that. There's even characters from the 80s and 90s that no one else remembers but me. Cardiac, who killed rich businessmen whose actions resulted in harm. Or Solo, who was basically Punisher but targeted terrorists instead of organized crime. Nightwatch. The very briefly lived hero that was a barely disguised ripoff of Spawn, who was himself inspired by Venom. Thomas Fireheart, also known as the Puma, who was a rich Native American businessman that hired himself out as a mercenary just for the challenge. The money's going to help his people. Yuri Wantabi's story is most notable in that she had a relationship with Spidey before becoming a vigilante. This is what makes her confrontations with Peter more potent. Because she feels he let her down. And what's worse, Peter agrees. That's what makes their own conflict heartbreaking. 
and then in the next mission, it's just like it kind of resolves quite quickly, where she's like, you know what? I think you do more good. Like I'm all about just trying to do the most good, and you are good at saving people. And it's sort of like you were on quite a lot of blast talking about like, well, what about all the mistakes you make and stuff like that? So for her to just be like, yeah, you're fine, is it, it felt rushed and maybe. Uh, but here's the thing: is that that big fight, anger sort of powers through itself. It burns through its fuel, but it's very easy to make mistakes and to do things that you regret when you're angry. When Yuri makes the decision that she does to save Peter's life over going after Cassidy, again, it's it's thematically resonant with what she was saying earlier. If she doesn't save Peter now, who else might die as a result of Peter not being around? And she's not angry when this is going on. She was angry when they were fighting, but now, between the two of them, she has to make a choice whether to take a life or to save a life. Mm. So that's an important narrative arc for her. Saving this one person's life is more important because of the good that Peter can do rather than having to worry about Cassidy. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think it just, like, it, it didn't necessarily land in a way that I mm. bought it as much. Okay. But anyway, coming back to, we sort of went on this flame thing, but I think we've now talked about all of that, which I'm yeah, glad yeah. we did, because it's a significant one. I think going back to, like, the whole thing with Venom and the incorporation of the symbiote thing is, it, it's sort of tricksy because, uh, as you say, this Venom is kind of, like, some of the most powerful venom that you'll see in mm -hmm. other things. And part of that is because in these games, they kind of need hordes of enemies for you yeah. to fight. And that means that sometimes a character that usually is kind of a solo act, they have to write a way for them to have access to an army. Like Craven the Hunter having this infinite resources and so many people who have crossbows and like <laughs> things That's like that and it's just like it's, it's very, all that whole thing yeah and and they make it work they sell it but mm -hmm. in comparison with like how you often think of craven being this like sort of lone hunter stalking his prey it's like yeah i don't know how many times he like goes on the hunt like through Anyway, with Venom, he creates this army very mm -hmm. quickly. As soon as Harry has that, he like really goes to 11 with it. And that means that while in other things, Peter has found ways to beat Venom when he no longer has access to the symbiote suit, maybe the anti-Venom thing is sort of there to help equal the playing field. I think that's a bit of a sort of unsatisfying explanation for something that I think is a bit of a compromise to the original really strong arc that they were on, mm. but there you go. I, I think it's the complicated interaction between storytelling medium and gameplay medium. Yes. As, as you say, certain conceits need to happen when you're translating a story from a comic book medium to an interactive medium, yes. which means that, okay, because I'm pretty sure in the comics, Martin Lee didn't have his own mob of, like, mask-wearing dudes or whatever. He was just Mr. Negative. As it turns out, I was wrong about this, but that's because Martin Lee was created during the Dan Slott era of Spider-Man. 
Rather than the eras I am familiar with, I can tell you everything about Richard Fisk, the Rose, and very little about Mr. Negative. As it turns out, in the comics, Martin Lee was once a Chinese gangster that was given superpowers by another underworld figure, Silvermane, and who used them to build his own criminal empire, the same as the Kingpin, with the Inner Demons as his gang name, same as the first Insomniac game. The only changes the game made were the circumstances of how Lee got his powers, and that he was motivated by revenge on Osborne, rather than a desire for power and control in and of themselves. So while Mr. Negative provided an easy way for Spider-Man to fight mooks in the first game, Craven is a harder sell. Because in the comics, he did tend to be a one-man show. But he did have family that were like him, as well as known characters that admired him, like the Chameleon. And he was also a rich Russian oligarch. So it's not too far beyond the pale that he could have minions to help him hunt. And honestly... Having Venom able to create more symbiotes is also not beyond the pale. Once Venom became super popular, comic writers kept using the same plot twist that made Carnage possible to also have the Venom symbiote birth more symbiotes to create more symbiote characters, usually for Venom to fight. And as early as the 90s, a crossover called Planet of the Symbiotes revealed that entire populations of symbiotes existed in space, using alien hosts to be mobile, and use a combination of technologies to come to Earth on more than one occasion. Maybe these ideas were not as prevalent in the media that Toby imbibed, but Venom's symbiote army does have precedent, even if, as before, the spiral meteorite seems to act more like the necromorph marker from Dead Space in terms of being able to make instant army. This speaks, I think, to the evidence that Insomniac did their homework when making their games. It's a tough line to walk, making something from a beloved IP accessible to both a general audience, but also the longtime Spidey fans. As one of those longtime fans, it feels to me like it all makes coherent sense. But then, the biggest fans are often prone to using obscure lore to protect their favorite IP and I'm not immune to that. You know, so the whole thing of, like, Kingpin has his own army, Barton Lee has his own army. The Tinkerer uh, had her own army. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, we gotta have moves. Silver Sable has her own, like... Yes. Yeah. There's gotta be multiple people in here that just have dudes willing to work for the bad guys so that Spider-Man has plenty of cannon fodder to beat up. Yeah. I think the inclusion of, oh, where do we get all these extra symbiotes from? The meteorite. The meteorite's the source of all of it. Sure. That explanation works for me. You're right that with Craven, it's a little odd. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Craven side quests in a little bit. But as we get into talking about Craven as a character, it sort of gets into a little bit why that works for me to a certain extent. One of your big complaints about this mm -hmm. game is that Craven as a character, doesn't work very well. It's more like he is someone that is there to move the plot forward so we can get Venom. Yes. If Craven doesn't enter this picture, it's entirely possible that the whole Venom outcome would still happen, because the way it comes into the picture is 
Harry's back and he's healthy again. This is wonderful. And you get to go around a fairground that they are sort of, they remember it's Coney Island Fair and that's a lovely time. I spent all my time doing all of the little things there. And like they even have what I am convinced is a little sly wink to the audience that a Ferris wheel just says big wheel on it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, the the roller coaster, Speed Demon, the, the no. mascot for that, is a specific enemy in Marvel called Speed Demon. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I love it. And then uh, Harry realizes, oh, I've got superpowers because the thing that my dad used to heal me was the symbiote. And what I love is that when he goes in to help with his sort of symbiote powers... And he's there with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, as Peter, just says, like, Harry? And then, yeah. like, Harry just <laughs> not misses, like, fucking Peter? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, that was a moment worthy of, like, one of the few moments that was good about the Green Lantern movie, where it's just be like, how? And be like, no, whatever, you think I'm how's this? <laughs> We sure do. Spider-Man? I know, I know. But first, what are those things coming out of you? I think it's my treatment. <laughs> Dr. Connors said it's some kind of self-learning exosuit, but I had no idea it could... Wait. You know what this means, right? We both have superpowers. Just think about all the stuff we could do to heal the world. Sorry. I uh, guess I still got to figure out how this thing works. Well, it's a real shame neither of us has a state-of-the-art science lab to run some tests. I'll go make sure the coast is clear. Meet you there. Give me a call when you're ready. Yes, that moment uh, in the game was great. Adorable. Only uh, followed up by when Harry starts to want to fight crime with Spider-Man, and for a brief moment before Venom, we get the Agent Venom suit. And that's so cool! <laughs> it was so very cool. I loved it. Okay, real brief. Agent Venom in the comics was Flash Thompson, Peter's childhood nemesis. He lost his legs while soldiering in the Second Gulf War, and after the Venom symbiote had been taken from the previous host by the government, the previous host ironically not being Eddie Brock, the symbiote was given to Flash as part of an experiment to be a black ops operative. So, basically, U.S. agent, but with a symbiote and guns? Now you're caught up. Yeah, uh, and Harry's enthusiastic, but like they're sort of like chatting, and the fact that they almost feel like they're closer than ever, mm -hmm. and... I saw the thing that you also saw in the thing, which is that the voice actors for Harry and Peter, Yuri, and I forget Harry's uh, voice actor. That would be Graham Phillips, as Scott Porter from the first Insomniac game did not come back to voice Harry Osborne. Phillips himself being best known as a major character in the show The Good Wife, a minor character in Riverdale, as well as myriad other film, TV, and theater roles, 
One of those being Prince Eric in the TV musical The Little Mermaid Live. As they were figuring out the dynamics of the characters, they basically settled in and played it as if they were people who got together in the past. And yeah, for, now, for a romantic thing, potentially. Yeah. Uh, I... It doesn't people... have to be that. No, it doesn't it have to be that. It works. And it does, I like it. Does it does work. For, it works for two reasons for me. First of all, that's a very modern take on it. Mm-hmm. The, the friendship between Peter and Harry is like one of the longest lasting things in the comics and in a lot of other iterations of Spider-Man. If Peter is there, then Harry is the best friend and Flash is the guy that torments him. And they have complicated relationships with Spider-Man and with Peter Parker. Mm. So updating this idea that they were friends and were potentially closer at one point frames everything intriguingly in terms of like, okay, so Harry isn't threatened by MJ because MJ was his friend too and this was their circle. So like the two of them ending up together is for the amorous what if world i (laughs) i mean potentially but also just the whole idea of like oh i'm so glad that my two friends have paired off together even if i'm no longer part of peter's life in that way Mm -hmm. but then when miles is introduced all of a sudden and they definitely could have done more with this i appreciate that harry feels threatened by miles hmm and even though there's no romantic subtext between the two of them, because that would be weird given the age difference between Peter and Miles. Absolutely. The, yeah. the subtext there is that he feels threatened by Miles in a way that he is not threatened by MJ. And so that powers some of the mm. later interactions. Yeah. And because Peter can only spread himself so much, it's like the more time he spends with Harry and trying to focus on getting Harry better and just figuring out the Venom suit and getting brought into it, the less time he has for Miles, which is a way of facilitating how you will switch between the characters and they don't sort of interact as much. And then during the big fight between Peter and Miles, Miles just goes like, you don't even take my calls anymore, man. And it's such a personal and like mundane way in this big moment where there's all the, this like superhero shit flying around. Okay. We're going to talk about that now. Yes. The boss fight where as miles, you have to beat up Peter. You almost killed him, man. What are you doing? You're in the way, miles. Oh, he's in the way. I could have fixed everything! Now, by strangling him, that's not what we do! Don't try to mentor me! You're the one running away from your problems! You're the one hell-bent on revenge! Revenge? All I wanted was to protect my family! Protect you! You're not better than me! I'm not saying that! You're stronger than some soup, Pete! Don't listen to it! And what? Listen to you? Yes! Listen to me! What are you so afraid of? Oh my god, that just kills me. But it was so perfectly executed. 
We all knew it was heading in that direction, mm-hmm. and it was. It, it, there was implication. It there was implications from like just the promotional stuff where it would do, did the whole thing of like be greater together, and then all of a sudden the together is being taken over by the symbiote. But there's a flash of electricity that chases away the symbiote yeah. to show like that Miles is going to fight for Peter's soul. Implication yes. in that. Yes. I love the way that Spectacular Spider-Man goes into the whole idea of doing the internal battle of the soul that Peter is going over his memories and the symbiote is twisting them into their, like, the most pessimistic and nihilistic reading of these past formative memories of Peter. And culmination of that episode of Spectacular Spider-Man is that for as much as the symbiote is trying to isolate him and say you don't need anyone it's just Mm. us peter is actually realizing that he isn't alone that people have been looking out for him and that's something he realizes by himself and we don't necessarily get as much of that internal thing that actually comes much later in the anti-venom moment because that's when we're getting at the heart of his trauma Mm -hmm. with the bit that devastated you where he's still kneeling over Aunt May's body. Careful, and... I'm, I'm about to tear up here. Um, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, okay. so the expression of, as many people have said, but as we have alluded to, of the Venom suit being performance-enhancing drugs, that's definitely a slightly modified take that hasn't been done in the same way in other media. Um, mm. But I can definitely see what you were talking about with Spectacular Spider-Man yeah. and... And And what I mean to say here is that Miles being present is the actualization of that idea Mm -hmm. that, like, has previously been that Peter has to find that within himself. And Miles is there to help just really confront him with that. Mm -hmm. And what's great is that at the moment that the fight is done and Miles is hitting the bell, and there's a moment where he's about to hit it again, but he hesitates. And he just says the last thing before Peter is able to rip it off. It's just... Mm-hmm. Pete, come on, man. Just just focus on me. Come on! I'm stronger than this. You hear me? Yeah, um, no, he, so, he, he doesn't want to have to defeat Peter. He wants Peter to be able to shake it off himself. Yeah, so like it still gets to be that, and I'm desperate to talk about something else, but like, you know what, I'm going to do this because I'll come to Craven later, but I'm in a sort of positive mood about the game's okay. uh, strength, so I want to lead to this. Okay. MJ and the <laughs> Scream boss fight. Oh, God, yes, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This this is very much an ensemble game yes. because it isn't just about being able to play as Peter and being able to play as Miles. 
And at one point, even being able to play as obviously Venom when he's breaking out of uh, Osborne Industries mm. and then finally giving Craven the death he so richly desires and everything. I was like, oh, like, I kind of just wanted to let Craven piss off and be forgotten, but like, yeah. so it felt like well, giving him what he wanted anyway. Well, we'll, we'll get into Craven when we start talking no. about some of the more negative aspects. But in terms of exploring MJ's story in a way that a lot of spider media doesn't necessarily, giving her the agency it does, but also reflecting on her attempts at self-actualization, her attempts at being the best version of herself and how her relationship with Peter is affecting that, mm. and then actualizing it through her getting her own symbiote and finally voicing all of those frustrations. Done talking! Done begging for validation! From you! From anyone! Validation? If this is about your job! It's about me! Hey! Not my job in a stupid house! And for once, not about you! About me? MJ, what do you mean? You stay out of this! I'm finally in control! There's only one job you care about! Spider-Man! That's not fair! People need me! You know that! What would the city do without Spider-Man? Look how it's doing with you! I can still fix this! I always do! Uh, we always do! I always come second! I live in your shadow where my dreams turn to dust! That is the truth! What are you saying? You do make a difference! What you do matters! In the comic, this symbiote look, this symbiote character is supposed to be named Scream. And they're something that Cletus Cassidy makes as like an additional enemy for Venom to fight. But the fact that this look is now associated with MJ and is her essentially screaming at Peter all of her frustrations, that... Mm, just just, it, just the, 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 the concept of the psychology of it and Peter having to, having to talk MJ through this and apologize, but also the fact that he is able to talk her down the same way Miles is able to talk Peter down so that MJ can remove the suit herself. Again, yeah. the importance of MJ's agency is it's, put front and center in yes. this goddamn game. The resolution of that fight, like, yes, you just did a tough boss fight. Yes, it was, like, the music of it is hitting up, like, mm. so good. It's the best music in the game, and it's this fight through the the local area that they have made their home, and it culminates in this, like, area that is under construction, and it's, like, the skeleton of a series of houses that is like the life that they may want for each other, but it's not finished, it's not complete, and mm. them having to battle there, it's... The and that was a, a hard, that was a hard boss fight, which meant that there really were several hard. sections of it that I had to replay and had mm -hmm. to re-listen to their conversation, how anguished Peter was, just in general, the voice acting for this game is top-fucking-notch. Yes. Jeter, 
and uh, I forget who plays MJ. Voiced in both games by Laura Bailey, who is one of the best voice actors out there. Some might know her better as the voice of Spider-Gwen in the 2017 Spider-Man animated series, as well as Vex Halia in The Legend of Vox Machina, but I know her best as Lady Comstock in Bioshock Infinite, both Bianca and Dagna in Dragon Age Inquisition, and most significantly as Nadine Ross in the Uncharted games and Ilyana Rasputin in Marvel's Midnight Suns. But Yuri Lowenthal? Holy shit, the emotional ringer that it feels like Yuri put himself through in order to voice certain parts of this game. This guy deserves a fucking raise. He is, like, feeling everything he says. So when, like, Peter, who is a character who always takes responsibility, like, you know, more responsibility than he needs to, he is never, like, when MJ is taken over by this uh, symbiote and is screaming these ideas, which are there, but it's Mm -hmm. intensifying and exacerbating them and that's what the symbiote does it yes. preys on these things that you wouldn't necessarily vocalize in, and act they're, they're, on their insecurities yes. their frustrations it brings it all to the surface yeah. and makes that the driving force and, and it's uncontrollable and that's how that works it's just yeah. intensified to 11 for anybody that wears a symbiote but peter in this entire fight never says or at least not for a like sustained thing this isn't you talking this is just the symbiote Mm, mm. he hears all of this he talks with this exaggerated like dark version of mj and sees and responds to her because even if this is a scream of all this frustration made manifest this is still the person he loves and he still responds to her. Peter acknowledges his culpability in letting MJ down and not giving equal weight in the relationship to her issues, while at the same time trying to help her fight back against the voice that tells her she needs the suit to be powerful, that she can't be who she wants to be without it. Because Peter knows. He's felt firsthand what the symbiote does to a person. So by the end of it, when you beat her, and as the symbiote, she's actually doing things that do the sort of sonic disruption thing. So she is enacting her own, like, sort of freedom. Oh, that's a really good point, is that towards the end of the fight, uh, Peter is attempting to, like, use sonics, but then when she uses the sonics on herself, that's a sign that she's fighting back. You're absolutely right. And then she pulls it off herself and Peter helps her out and he says, you did it and Mm -hmm. hugs her. And it's not a case of like MJ saying like, oh, Peter, thank you for saving me or something Mm -hmm. like that. No, it's like MJ, you did it. And he hugs her and says, I I thought I was going to lose you Mm -hmm. in the same way that we could imagine and have seen countless times like the love interests of superheroes do that to the superhero and it's like oh in your strong battle it is peter seeing his hero who had to fight a battle mm-hmm. and won and he genuinely thought he was going to lose her and mm. the delivery of just when mj like calls up j jonah jameson and says fuck you i'm quitting <laughs> and 
And then Pisa just says, you're so cool. That is part of what makes the ending of this so heartbreaking, is that seeing that Peter was able to fight it off and MJ was able to fight it off, having Harry not be able to do it himself. Like, Miles does save Harry's life at the end, but, like, he's in a comatose state and we don't know whether he's going to wake back up again. And that kind of is important because that's the lead-in that's going to give us the culmination of Norman Osborn's arc. Yes. But, I- but like, that's... that. That that's a pyrrhic victory to end on. It really is. What I love about the final thing of that is that Harry is able to fight it just enough to sort of say to Peter, I'm done. Either way, Pete. We still have time? No, we don't. It'll kill them. Then it will kill you. Let's heal the world, Pete. Together. When you're in the cutscene and Peter uses his anti-venom powers, it gives you the button prompt of L1 and square to do that, to do to just Mm, do mm, the mm. anti-venom blow that disperses it Mm -hmm. and it's the move that is done to kill the venom suit and possibly kill harry and when miles comes over and and uses his ability to shock him back to life it is the same button prompt Mm. it is l1 and square Mm, mm. and it is that moment that that is the final passing of the torch because miles was able to do something that Peter could not. Yes. He like Peter could use like the same motion, the same ability of like the input, but it could only do so much. Mm-hmm. Miles's version of that brought Harry back. That is a great use of the mechanics and everything. Well, that is that is part of why that moment in Act Three works as well as it does. Mm-hmm. Because as mentioned before, Miles is going on his own arc, and it begins with seeing Martin Lee, the man that killed his father, him escaping as a result of the shenanigans of Craven, and Miles not just being angry and wanting revenge against Martin Lee, but their power is entangling. So we assume that when Miles's power set changes, He's also going down a dark path, and everything certainly looks like it's going in that direction, particularly given the specificity of Martin Lee's powers. He is Mr. Negative. He brings up all those dark emotions, and that's why when the two of them fight, it isn't just a fight in the real world. It's a fight in Miles's mindscape, where Miles is going up against all of these voices from his life, telling him negative things about himself. That is specific to Martin Lee's power set, but Miles not only wins against that, he also saves Martin Lee's life because he refuses to kill. He refuses to give in to those emotions of vengeance. But that's Mm. also what leads to the two of them working together later on to save Peter. And Mm. that whole arc of them being inside Peter's mindscape and seeing the darkness in Peter's own mind, 
And that confrontation between the two of them where he's like, I can't forgive you. It's. It's not in me. But I have to move on. No, there has to be another way. Maybe, maybe. We have one more option. If I can transfer all of my power into the symbiote, I think that can neutralize it and free Peter. What'll happen to you? I guess we'll find out. <clears throat> Well, if this is my last chance to say anything to you, I won't forgive you. It's just not in me. But I can't carry this hate for you anymore, man. So let's set things right. You and me. It's during this interaction where we find out that Martin Lee's power wasn't corrupting Miles. It did affect his powers, but those powers are still a force for positivity because that's what Miles is bringing to the table. And so therefore, the only reason that the anti-Venom suit exists at all is because of Miles's positive influence, transmuting what he got from Martin Lee, giving it to Peter, and therefore this is the mm. manifestation of that. It's a perfect following on of everything with that. And it was something I had never really considered. Mm. Was like, oh shit, yeah. Martin Lee and like Miles never kind of interacted as sort of story elements no. past yeah. that. And as soon as the mission happens where it's like, oh, we're transferring some people from the raft and you think it's just Scorpion, but it's like, oh, bring out the other prisoner. And Peter and Miles is like, wait, what? There's a second prisoner? And it's Martin Lee. And mm. that's the moment where Peter's like, Miles, you good? Like, and <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great development. And the way it unfolds is excellent as well, because you know how I was saying that with Craven, and I think we will get to him next, mm. In the conversations with you, I mentioned that it's sort of like with Craven, I sort of wanted to go into the story and kind of call him on all of his bullshit. We get that with Martin Lee through Miles, because when you're fighting Martin Lee in the gladiatorial arena because Craven has captured both of you and he forces you to fight because that's what he does. He forces you to be the worst version of yourself. To be clear... I don't think Craven is making them fight just to be an asshole. He's seeing a potential legendary fight in the symbiote-infused Peter at this point, and captured Miles to draw Peter in. But he may still be wondering if a fight between Lee and Miles will turn one of them into a worthy fight on their own. That one of them will lose all restraint and Craven can take over from there. He cares less about the who, and more about the final outcome. But maybe there's also some twisted mental thing at play here. Wanting to make Miles and Lee more like him. Like, Martin Lee is saying, like, I'm sorry, but I have to fight you because I can't die here. There's too much that mm -hmm. I regret that I need to make amends for. Or not even make amends for, it's just like, I can't die 
as this version of myself. Then when he brings Miles into the sort of like into his inner mindscape, he takes all of these relationships that Miles has and exploits the negativity of his fears of what each of the people in Miles' life would say to him mm-hmm. that he has been by pursuing the Spider-Man role, he has just strained all of these other ones. And Lee uses that tactic, showing that he's not actually doing... He talks about how he has to move beyond the villain that he was. And then he just falls into old habits, because that's what he knows. That's what he's made himself into. And it's only from Miles going through all of that and saying, no, let me tell you what the reality is, because you've been putting this negative spin on it. You were responsible for my father dying. And it is at that moment where Lee is confronted with like, what? The reality of what he's done. Because it's it's the cycle perpetuating himself. Norman Osborn killed his parents, so he wants to kill Norman Osborn in the process killing Miles' father. So it, it would be completely natural for Miles to want to perpetuate the cycle back onto Martin Lee, but he doesn't know, he doesn't realize the implications of that until Miles throws it in his face. And there's a, one of my favorite shot sequences in it is the end, the culmination of that fight where in the skate, Lee is on a sort of platform that is far away from uh, Miles and he's just unlocked this ability that is sort of reverse magnetism where Miles can bring people in and he is closing the gap between them and Lee is about to like voice something just having been confronted with all of this and he may be about to say like "Uh, uh, I'm sorry but then Miles says no you don't get to talk and it is just (laughs) sort of bring him further in and is like I've been like carrying this you have made me this I am done. And after that, everything about it, like Lee is ready for death. And he says like, this is the only way, please, you have to. And And Miles Miles, says, no, no, I'm not going to give in to that. Yeah, and, and, and more importantly, you're going to help me sort shit out with Peter. Yeah. So get your ass out that window. No, that's exactly what he does. It's like, he doesn't even like sort of say like, I'm not going to do that. He's just, he picks him up and it's like, look, we don't have time for your shit. Get out of here, find Spider-Man, bring him here. Mm-hmm. And he does that. Like, Miles has to trust that for as much mm-hmm. as he resents this person, that given this opportunity, he will do that. Because he has gotten to know him a little bit more from this interaction. And then he does that. And after that, I wasn't even sure that I would see Martin Lee for the rest of the game. It is like when... Miles and Peter are getting dogpiled by symbiotes, and you see Martin Lee comes to it. He has actively put himself into a situation where he can do more good. And, yeah, it's a great culmination. That that is definitely the further exploration of that redemptive arc, and Mm. the way Martin ends up leaving it with both Miles and Peter. Because, lest we forget, yes... Technically, Miles has a deeper connection to Martin Lee, but like Martin Lee ran the place where Aunt May worked. Mm. So he has he has familiar with and theoretically has just as much a connection to Peter through Aunt May as Miles 
through you know through tragedy and everything like that but he he sees the influence of these two people how they turned him they how they made him reconsider all of his own trauma and he wants to now go into the rest of his life and try to be yeah to, to build himself off of their example mm-hmm. and this is something that only just occurred to me very recently it is as if someone in the world of new century redeemed seth yeah uh, the story beat that i was thinking of is that it reminded me of hacker in... mm, oh yes yes abs- oh my god you're absolutely right because young miguel of course okay you're right that's a much better metaphor i yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah and just like hacker it's like does Hucker need to play a role in future stories? Does uh, Martin Lee have to play a role in future stories in this setting? No, in both cases. I don't think that they need to. If their stories ended here, I think it would be fine for both mm-hmm. them and also the broader story as a whole. I would be fascinated in both cases to see how they actually do yeah. incorporate, like to see how it actually this path that they have now set themselves on manifests. I would be fascinated to see it. I I feel like they don't have to, but I think that they will bring Martin Lee back. The first game's plot centered around the shared connection between Norman Osborn, Martin Lee, and Otto Octavius. And while Norman was barely in this game and Otto only shows up for the stinger, there is a strong implication that both of them are going to be antagonists in the final game. So there would be a strong resonance if Martin Lee returns in order to ally with Miles and Peter against them. Yeah, I, I think that that would be, I think that would, that would make sense. In talking about Miles's personal arc, I also want to add in a response to Spider-Man Proving Ground think pieces, that have come up in multiple recent online articles and YouTube videos. I can't speak to whether all these are in good faith, of course. But if you want to see a trio of great video essays on the Insomniac games, I recommend the creator Johnny Tuchello's, who did a pair of deep-dive episodes on Spider-Man The City That Never Sleeps and Spider-Man Miles Morales that I watched and thoroughly enjoyed on the run-up to playing this game. After finishing it, and before recording on it ourselves, I also watched his video response to this third game, called Spider-Man 2 is Brilliant but Flawed, link in the show notes. One of the biggest complaints about what most people agree is still a great game is that Miles isn't connected enough to the main plot, that for much of it, Miles is tangential to the primary driving story of Peter and Harry and Venom. And in fact, Tony Todd revealed in interviews that he recorded lines for the game surrounding a point where Miles gets his own symbiote suit. Todd, being the voice actor, picked four words spoken by the symbiote itself. For whatever reason, this content was cut from the final game. Now, I will never argue that there shouldn't be more Miles content. Indeed, the stories that could come out of Miles as Spider-Man are what I hunger for the most, having had a surfeit of Peter stories over the last 40 years. Do I think the game had enough? I liked what was there, but I certainly wouldn't have said no to more. 
I just think there could have been more done with some of the Miles stuff that either this game or the Miles Morales game introduced. Hell, Gloria from Feast, that was introduced as a bit character in the first game, got some character upgrading in Miles Morales, and she was noticeably absent from this game. But having said that, I think the fact that Miles feels estranged from the main plot is a feature, not a bug, if you'll pardon the pun. When the game begins, both Spider-Man are having issues with their work-life balance when it comes to web And given that Miles is also young and struggling with a lot of things Peter himself went through, he has naturally been a mentor to Miles in more ways than one. Indeed, the little pre-game cutscene where Miles and Peter give us a recap on the events of both previous games show that Peter is trying to advise Miles on his college application essay, a piece of writing that haunts Miles throughout the game. But then, right when Miles is in a vulnerable place, Peter starts shutting him out. First, it's because Harry has come back into his life, and therefore, reconnecting with his old friend becomes more significant than his responsibility for and relationship with Miles. When the symbiote gets introduced, then the gap gets wider, leaving Miles to figure out things on his own, including the stuff with Martin Lee. And the Martin Lee stuff is a big part of why I suspect symbiote Miles was cut. There's a little too much overlap between the confrontation with Mr. Negative and the influence of the symbiote bringing out darker aspects and anxieties of Harry, Peter, and MJ. For me, making Miles' journey centered around a person rather than the faceless symbiote just works better. Indeed, how can he rescue Peter from the symbiote in the same way if he also falls a victim to it? His character arc needs to be similar, but distinct. I like what the primary symbiote plot did with Harry and Peter and MJ. Doing it with Miles in the same story feels a little over-egging the pudding. It also feels like doing it would have stepped on Miles' arc, his role in saving Peter and Harry, and how the story ends with Miles taking over while Peter takes a break. In my humble opinion, Miles feeling disconnected is load-bearing, not a misstep. And we'll talk more later about the main plot, but now, let's get into some of the tangential stuff. There is a theme of... It's a similar theme to what you would see in some of the episodes of the animated Batman series, where you see some of the rogues gallery attempting to actually reform. But in this one, there's a couple of instances where you see that that takes. There's four instances in the game where you see that happening mm-hmm. you, there's martin lee and that's woven into the main story so that is you can't miss it yeah there is the time trials that we were alluding earlier is set up by mysterio quentin, quentin back yes yeah. and it's great you just you go to the coney island and there's like this sort of virtual reality experience that's uh new business being set up and you realize like holy shit that's mysterio he's just set up a new like business for this and, and he's like no, no no i'm not mysterio i'm quentin beck i'm a legitimate businessman and yeah. then this whole thing gets set up it's like well okay is he a legitimate businessman there seems to be something unusual going on there 
I will say I loved the introduction of this storyline because it gets to highlight, just like Miles being artistic in the Spider-Verse movies is set up, this Miles, he's less of a physical artist and more of a music artist. So we get to see this like, oh, I want to be a DJ in my normal life. I want to create amazing music. And therefore, Miles gets to play that out a little bit before anything goes wrong. There are people that don't like that minigame. I that love fucking that minigame. Yes. I love that minigame. It's amazing. It's a rhythm game. I, I talked over it. It's a thing where you just are like hitting the notes like Guitar Hero. So Alex, you will love this as they come on. And it's doing the Miles Morales theme, but a sort of club remix of it, of just and then it's doing the whole thing which like, here comes the drop. When will the bass drop? When will the bass drop? And it's incredible. I love it. Also, that aspect of Miles's uh, identity feeds into like three different areas of four, actually, the uh, different areas of the game. There's that moment. There's later on, you tweak one of the gadgets so that it gets a sonic audio component to help out with the, the symbiotes. And right, that that's Mar- actually a big portion of it. Is that it's because of Miles's mixing mixing focus that mm. they figured out how to actually weaponize sonics better than just like hitting a bell or something like that yeah and so it's that, ingenious which which actually ties in very well with actually no hold on a second the sonic side quest that was a thing in the miles morales game the miles morales side quest in this one is coming up with all the old prowler tech but the fact that the miles morales game sets up the music side of things with Miles so well is what gives it actual weight and depth in this game. Yeah, and like you, you're sampling like a bell, you're sampling all of these things mm-hmm. that gets weaponized. You have this thing of him wanting the like to live the Mysterio a dream sequence of him doing the mini game. You also have because the thing that Miles is sort of continuously putting off is writing up his college application Mm -hmm. because it's essentially what do you want for your future and every time he sits down to write it it's just like hey uh miles we've got some spider-man shit it's like yes let me procrastinate by being spider-man for a bit (laughs) they even use that as the previously on spider-man thing because he and peter are talking about their experiences and Mm -hmm. just trying to write the thing and by the end of it it's like Maybe I'll start this again. <laughs> Heck, but. one of the best side quests in the game is also music focused because that's one of the... Yes. If you're confused about why I abruptly stopped talking there, it's because Toby was enthusiastically jabbing his finger at me in agreement. I I love the fuck so much out of that side quest where all of the instruments get stolen and he has to go get it, and there's all this black music and black artistry history built yes. around that. But at the same time, the culmination of, oh, it was the rich white guy all along that was stealing of all of these things. Was. Yes, exactly. All these things that he thought he was entitled to because that, I mean, okay. Because it's a his, little, 
family it, produced it. Yes, exactly. Right. It's a little anvilicious, but the whole idea of white people stealing black artistry is a thing that happens in the world. So seeing that expressed as a part of Miles's arc. I really loved the combination of him being just a good, good boy who, <laughs> like, even as he puts this guy on blast, the guy says, like, you know, once he's under arrest. It's... Just so I get this right. All that talk of supporting the museum, all Angela's time you wasted asking about operations and security, all lies so you can learn how to steal the collection. For my family. No. I'm sure you do care about this music. But those things don't belong to you. They belong to this community. Let's go, sir. You're under arrest. And it is this moment of him sort of still being the best version of himself, where he doesn't, like, put this guy entirely on blast, but he is not taking any of it. He says categorically... Shut the fuck up. Toby? <laughs> yeah? Is this a redemption of the quintessential line that we associate with Indiana Jones? It belongs in a museum! It does! It is actually a redemption of it, because it does belong in a museum! And yes. then, once you're done with it, you get to look around a museum and read these fascinating paragraphs that are a combination of two Marvel references to like the Howling Commandos and yes, whatnot exactly. and then the rest of it which is just real history and yeah, real, real his not just musical history but like there was something there from Langston Hughes and his writing there was Josephine Baker the famous performer and like and, the person who hut like was a spy who fought oh, Nazis yes that whole thing god the culmination of that side quest I did not expect it to hit me emotionally as hard as it did and miles gets to talk with the people as he does so as well and everything that miles does all of his side quests are heavily focused on his community because that's what the previous game set up it, it, an extension of what like that's that's miles's through line is not just his connection to peter's world but connection to his community because his community is who backed him up at the end of his his game so he is there for them and they are there for him there's five things i want to say at once <laughs> i will finish with the uh, the museum one uh by talking about there's a lovely bit of someone who says like yeah the music mixing is really good but like Next time, do listen to this because you'll find things that you won't find in it. And the culmination after you've walked through the museum, because Miles's mum is still like going into local politics and trying desperately to actually do some good in the system. Mm -hmm. All that ends is with this lovely woman wanting to have a dance with her son. Mm -hmm. And that's so sweet. And then afterwards, you unlock a outfit which is Miles but with a sort of vest and jazz outfit, which you talked about yes. earlier. That, I love great. that costume so much. You brought up Rio. I want to add, the Insomniac version of Aunt May is not my favorite version of Aunt May. For the record, it's hard to top the one voiced by Lily Tomlin in Into the Spider-Verse. I do like what they did with Insomniac Aunt May, um, but obviously she's she's only here in a flashback in this game. 
It's so a load-bearing flashback. It Greg. is a load-bearing flashback. You're absolutely right. But I really like what Miles Morales and then this game did with Rio Morales because by giving her agency, by making her a councilwoman and therefore trying to affect change and being a self-assured person that will actually call Peter on the carpet when Peter is failing Miles... Mm-hmm. The amount of agency that Rio is given in this movie and the exploration of her stuff after the death of her husband and everything like that. Other media has not always done well by Rio Morales. She was killed off in the original Ultimate storyline, only to be brought back when Miles came to 616. And while more has been done with her as of Across the Spider-Verse, here, Insomniac's version of Rio is my favorite. Also, the include the way that Miles's family, with not just Rio and Genki, but also Haley, these two families being brought together, it works so well together. Even when Peter is off the wagon and everyone's got to reel him back in because he's he's fucking up the emotional side of everything he's doing. Yeah, and after he loses the symbiote, he calls up various people. To because apologize. Of, you know, and, specifically, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I really like that because it's essentially like, you know, if you, it's the sort of thing you see in moments of Bojack Horseman where it's like, it can be overwhelming when you've had a substance abuse problem and you try to just get back into things and restore a certain sense of normality. And all you can do is just pick up the pieces mm. and just try and. That's what you see here with Peter. But uh, dovetailing back to Miles and his cast and the local community, mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Visions uh, <laughs> quests are a delight. You help a young boy with asking his prom date out, and it's another boy as well. So it it's they this. They are so cute. They are so cute. And you're helping it out and you're leading it on. And this guy is sort of seeing all these clues that his boyfriend has like left. And you're just, you learn so much about their interaction and relationship in such a short space of time. And like, that's the best one, but the other ones are also really good. Like there's a drone club and the drone club. Yeah. The, um, I, I really like the, I think that the the prom date one was the best of the Vision Academy ones, but the fact that he gets a Puerto Rican-inspired outfit at the end of that, that was one of my other favorite costumes for Miles specifically. I think it looks really good. Yeah, I I, I absolutely wore that a lot too. Yeah. As you can see, this game got us really excited, and there's still another hour and a half of content ahead. Tune in next time, True Believers, for the conclusion of our Spider-Man Proving Ground hype train. To close us out, the track from the opening of the game where Miles and Peter swing into action to stop a Sandman the size of a kaiju. Performed by hip-hop duo Earthgang with featured rapper Benji. Until next time, this is Swing.
coming, I'm a plot twist. Senses are tingling, we find a feeling it. Get the tag team and I'm leaving for taking for what I'm believing in. I know my destiny greater than this. We gotta find it, no evil can break forever. My bro, at the end of the day, this bigger than us, we got too much at stake. I'm good by myself, but together we great. Putting my life on the line for the citizens, see all the angles I'm weaving and pivoting. Then I'm dry kicking a criminal idiot. I recognize the playground at the city is. Feel like a jungle jump, feel like I'm juggling. Stop full of turbulence, street keep on rumbling. But I ain't worried about nothing as long as it's me and my buddy, we ain't gonna be struggling. Now you take the left and I take the right. We taking the chances and rolling the dice. Sticking with you like your uncle's advice. Trusting my instincts, I'm not thinking twice. I know my enemies not gonna play nice. So I'ma give it my all every time. Let go of fear, it's just all in your mind. Surprise what you find if you just look inside. Copy the DM, now you on the night, but you gotta decide to fight or to fly. You doing what's right, it's bigger than pride. Really no limit with you yeah, by your yeah, side. Yeah. My sense is bouncing off a wall. Evil lurking every day. Yeah, I'll never need to call. I can feel it right away. Slim chance to be the odds, but I always find a way. You will never just a nobody. Go get him, Tiger, swing it up in the way.